I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. This week, my guest is Annie Rouleau, founder and CEO of The Unscented Company, which is redefining the notion of clean by offering a line of natural, unscented home and body care products. A certified B Corp, Unscented has been recognized by leading wellness giants from Goop to Whole Foods and has made it twice onto the Globe and Mail's list of fastest growing Canadian companies. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. An ambassador and pioneer of the B Corp movement in North America's cleaning products industry, Annie Rouleau shares her vision of sustainable business by focusing on local sourcing, ethical and female-led management, as well as equal opportunity employment, making her a true change maker in the business community and beyond. In this conversation, you'll hear why Annie believes a company cannot exist without purpose and how building a network of diehard supporters and allies can be easier than we think. Here is our conversation. Annie, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brandy's Female today. Thank you so much for making time to speak with me. Oh, thank you for inviting me. And we were joking when we started. Uh, I was very excited to do this interview with you because I'm a longtime fan and user of your products and scented company. And uh, we, we've been trying to do this interview together for a while. So I'm glad it's finally working out and we can share all that's happening with Unscented. So thank you again for that. Well, thank you for being a fan, because it's always nice to hear when people from out of the blue, they say, oh, you know what, I've been buying your product. It always uh, is very nice for me to hear that. I'm, I'm so glad, and hopefully we turn more listeners into fans after this conversation. <laughs> um, so... I like to start with the really what is the origin story, um, and it starts with you as the the founder uh, of the company. When you were growing up as a young woman, a young girl, what did you think you'd be doing later in life as a career? Well, I was lucky enough to uh, to grow up in a family of entrepreneurs. Both my parents were entrepreneurs. My father had a business. My mother and I really, I remember my dad. Uh, coming back from work and saying, you know what, I want to start my own business. And my mom, without thinking about it, took the picnic table, brought it inside, put a phone on it and said, Bernard, this is your new office. And for me, as an entrepreneur uh, today, I realized that she made it sound so easy to do that with absolutely no money. And so that was my first um, encounter with entrepreneurship. And another thing that I've witnessed while uh, growing up is that, well, both my parents had businesses, but my father one day took my brother and I and we did door to door uh, to raise some money. And he bought a house with $2,800, which was not a very big house back then, but still. Um, and it was in 75 where they received uh, a Cambodian family to come and live in Saint Isidore de la Prairie, where we were born. Wow. And so for me then, the entrepreneur was not only someone who could support his family by creating a business, but it was definitely someone in the community that could do good also. The community looked up 
to my father and mother to take care of the Christmas parade or to take care of anything in the village. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I said, that's exactly what I'm going to do with my life. I will become an entrepreneur. And that's pretty much the only thing I know to do. Uh, but I will definitely make it also um, as they did, as being someone that was involved in the community also. So I was very, mm. I was lucky to grow up. Uh, I learned, I remember cash flow at the table and, and building an office and building a warehouse. So those were daily conversation. I, that's fantastic. And I think you're the kind of the textbook, you know, example of uh, being surrounded by entrepreneurs and business owners and having probably the best preparation to what was going to be next for you. Um, tell me about kind of where that took you. So we'll come back. I want to talk about incentive, but mm -hmm. there were, there were other chapters to your career. Uh, so what, what did that lead you to? Um, for sure that um, I seeing my parents as entrepreneurs, um, I grew up with that, but also, uh, my father told us, you know, guys, you must go to university. So I knew that I wanted to study, uh, which I did and, um, went to university of Ottawa, did my bachelor in finance. And then he said, you know what, why don't you join my business? And my father, as much as I grew up with entrepreneurs, the very big important things is that my dad also Uh, was always encouraging us that to do entrepreneurship in a sense, just to, mm -hmm. to start something and do something from nothing. And he would always say, you know what, Annie, go ahead. You're able to do it. So I joined the business and within a year, he said, you know what, Annie, why don't you go in the U.S. and start the business in the U.S.? So uh, I left Overnight, I was 25, maximum 26, for Birmingham, Alabama, where I set up a, I would say, a warehouse with assembly plant. And I was nearby one of my supplier, which was a foundry, aluminum foundry. And so wow. within three months, I was sitting there and... Uh, Ron, the owner of the foundry, comes up to me, says, Annie, I'm going bankrupt. And I said, okay, when? He says, at noon. I said, okay, this is it. So I ended up buying the, the foundry and set it up for my dad. And I realized wow. that was my first true experience where my dad gave me the keys, gave mm -hmm. me the keys mm -hmm. to start the business, but gave me definitely the confidence and the positive reinforcement <laughs> to be able just to do it. And obviously, I have very, very big respect for all mm -hmm. the investment he did, because that was not my own cash that was right. at risk or in jeopardy. But he never made it to, to be a problem or anything. He just gave me the key and the tools to grow up as an entrepreneur. Mm, that's wonderful. What a great experience for you. I was like, um, yeah. so that was kind of the first time you did something, yeah. you know, on your own, even though you benefited from your father's uh, cash flow. But absolutely, you, uh, you, you, you kind of led that process. You know, it was very much your own entrepreneurial journey. Mm -hmm. um, 
And you were, and I want to come back to what happened next, but uh, you were working at a time in what sounds like an industry where, you know, women are typically underrepresented. You've mentioned an aluminum foundry, for example. Um, were there, in addition to your dad, were there other role models? And I'm interested specifically in women role models around you that also inspired you as a woman leader. Back then, if I look, really, my mom was the person that I looked up to because uh, she was strong. She definitely was behind my father's business. She was the accountant, mm -hmm. not being an accountant out of profession or education, but definitely knew how to manage not only the cash flow, but the money for my dad to one morning get up and go get whatever he needed. Um, and so back then... I didn't have a lot of role model. I'm 53 years old mm -hmm. today. And 30 years ago in the U.S., uh, in the electrical field, I was pretty much alone. Probably that was an asset. And probably that I use it. Yes. Um, but I was definitely did not have any other women I could sit down with as much as my lawyers and my accountants and all my team. Uh, from the sales to um, ser customer service, everyone was a very male-dominated. And every customer I had, I did not encounter in four years any women. Now, today, wow. it's different. Obviously, today yeah. in Quebec, it's a very good place to be a woman entrepreneur. Uh, so I, we do say I do look up to a lot of women and we're well surrounded in Quebec from really in the financial world, we've got great women, we can, and everyone's so open and supportive from La Caisse de Dépôt with the Chef de File, from the BDC, the RBC. There is so much great women in the financial world, in the entrepreneurial world also, that it's really, really easy for anyone to pick up the phone and reach out or write an email, though I say that, picking up the phone, but <laughs> definitely to reach out to them because not only are they answering back, but we've got the best place ever in Canada to be uh, women entrepreneurs. That is great to hear and uh, always, always very exciting to see. Um, so to go back, you know, you led that process. You were in the U.S. still working mm -hmm. for your dad's company. What were the next steps and what eventually took you to wanting to launch? To launch. But I know there was another chapter in there. There's another chapter where uh, my father called me up one morning and says, Annie, I've got an offer to sell the company. And I said, give me 48 hours. I will try to raise the money to buy you out. And I wanted to keep the business. But then I was 30 years old and um, there was not a lot of funding for me back then to support that that purchase, um, mainly because the sale of the company was made in an, on a napkin at Saint-Hubert in Chariqui. And so there was absolutely no financial ratios. It was really, and the, the entire sale of the business released uh was made on a eight by 11 piece of paper. It was really not wow. complicated, although that made it very difficult for me to go get some financing. So, you know what? I ended up saying to my dad, you know, just sell the company, retire, do whatever you want to do with your money. You deserve it. He was 55 years old. I realized how young that was back mm -hmm. then. And so um, I was, although on the 
contract. So Annie must stay on board with the new buyers. So I ended up staying with them and learned quite a bit with this new American company that purchased the company. So I stayed with them for four years. After four years, I said, um, that's it. I'm done. You need to have a CEO that really wants to manage and grow the business. I was more of an entrepreneur. My job was made. And so I decided to go and travel around the world for 18 months. I had planned 12 and I ended up staying on the road for 18 months just to see um, what was going on out there, just to to see what would be my next chapter. And uh, I remember being sitting, sitting in uh, South Africa, actually, where the unscented company just popped up in my head. I knew exactly what I would be doing. I knew that the products, the commodity would be something I would be using, doing, meaning something we use daily. I knew it would be fragrance free because I'm intolerant to fragrance. Um, And I knew that that's where it started. And I knew also by traveling that the environment was definitely something a common denominator. So I needed to integrate in my business a very nice, um, or I don't even, I don't think back then it was a plastic footprint, but definitely a water-free, plastic-free uh, packaging. So that's mm-hmm. where it all started just making sense uh, during my travel. Uh, so tell me about the first steps in getting the company off the ground, because we know mm-hmm. sometimes we have this great idea, but then we have to put it into action. You had the benefit of, you know, having had entrepreneurial ex- experience before and, uh, you know, having having run and manage a company. But this was in a different industry than what you were used to. So was it difficult? Were there any specific challenges in, you know, finding the right suppliers, finding uh, manufacturers for this product? Because you were also kind of making a big change. Now it's a few years later, there's more on the market in terms of, you know, responsible packaging or, or responsible um, kind of beauty. And because and, your category really overlaps, I think, with yep, uh, cleaning supplies or, you know, home supplies mm-hmm. and, and the beauty segment as well. But back then you were still a disruptor in the industry. But 10 years ago, when I started the business and I would say, hey, would you like to buy eco-friendly cleaning products? And they would answer, no, I need not. It doesn't clean (laughs) and it's too expensive. So that was the thing. And second, well, it's unscented. Oh, come on, Annie. If it's not lavender, if it doesn't smell lavender or lemon, it's not clean. So the performance of the product was associated with the fragrance. And oh, by the way, why don't you bring back your bottle? I will refill it. So you know what? We're going to save one bottle from going to the landfill. And that was three strikes. It was definitely something that people couldn't understand. I was focusing and getting a niche with the unscented products, with the eco-friendly products. So 10 years ago, it was challenging. Um, But for me, all my business plan in my head, I needed to stick with it. I could have, I could have compromised on my value every single morning because everyone wanted me to add grapefruit or, or any sort of fragrances. But I knew down deep um, that the environment would be of importance down the road and not very long. Right down the road. Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, it took a good six years and it took, you know what, the tipping point, it's when Greta walked in the streets. 
that really hit for me uh, the mm-hmm. the households where they said, you know what, mm-hmm. we might be uh, it might be time to start thinking in what you were using on a daily. And as you said, you're right. I'm started with the cleaning supply or the household cleaners, the laundry detergents, and now I have personal care, hand soap, lotion, and now the hair care products. So really, I have different places in the household. That was my mindset. I wanted to be in your bathroom, in your laundry, in your kitchen. And uh, and now this week I'm launching the baby and kids line. So I am, oh, yes, that's going to happen the 6th of March. So we're just a week away. Perfect. Well, this episode will probably run by the time it's available. So that's Ooh, great. Wonderful. Um, So you seem like someone, I mean, you relied on a strong intuition because you basically forecasted that, you know, unscented products and eco-friendly products would eventually be something that resonates with the market, something that consumers were looking for. And even when people were telling you don't do this or add a scent, you really stuck with your original intention and vision. Uh, So are you someone who makes decisions based on intuition, on data, or is it really a mix of the two? That was was not data-driven at all. It was really (laughs) intuition. That's one of my weakest points. I don't use data enough, which they are, but uh, no, that was intuition. And even to, to answer a little bit more your previous question, because I find that I didn't quite answer Um, truly, when you start a business, even if you don't know about what it takes, meaning I did not, I'm not a chemist, I did not know how to build laundry detergent and soaps and and dish soap. Uh, But I kind of just picked up the phone and uh, just contacted l'Association des Chimistes du Québec and, Mm -hmm. and found great people to support me. And I realized that you can't be good in everything and and know everything, yeah. but there's great people yeah. around you that you can actually sit down, start your business, and along the way, things pick, it, it just grows organically. And I mm-hmm. relied on my intuition and I relied on the people around me to help me out as much as love money, all the way down to technical issues. So Maybe that's the entrepreneurial, um, I would say, quality that you need not to be afraid to just ask when you don't know. I think that's probably one of my strongest attributes, but definitely not the data, which now they're available. I should be using them much more. (laughs) Well, and you have a team now who can help you read the data. Um, so speaking of that, so you've mentioned, you know, the support you've mentioned, just the the power of reaching out yeah. and asking people who, you know, might have more insights that you don't necessarily have. So what kind of network did you find? And, and you've also mentioned all the great organizations, whether they're private or government, you know, that we have in Quebec that's, that support women entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you've had experience working with them as well. So what's the, what does that network look like of the people you go to for support, for advice, for, you know, any type of, of help with your the, the next phase of your business? Well, if anyone thinks that you do, you build a business alone, you're completely wrong. You really need your network. Network starts with your industry, 
I don't see them as competitors. I see them as our industry colleagues. Um, it's important to know your industry, to reach out to your industry. I don't think they're going to share trade secret, but they're definitely going to yeah. just talk about the industry. And I think we're all better off. I have a mindset of that. If we help each other in the industry, we'll, we'll improve the industry. And I think in my line of product, the entire industry needs to pull together because we we have major changes to do. Uh, I think right there, the industry, after that, your friends and colleagues and family, everyone has connection, some sort that I, I reach out. Uh, definitely all the, um, I would say government uh, support, but I go more on the municipal. For me in Montreal, we have PME Montréal, which are supporting not only financially, you know, we don't always need money. What we need is maybe their contact list. It's maybe an introduction. So I don't go see these people only when I'm in need of cash. I go see them because I need them maybe to help me with my business plan. And they're available. So really now today, mm -hmm. my network looks like my bank. The bankers have great yeah. relationship with everyone. I've got, uh, so I'm dealing with the BDC, RBC, PME Montréal, Développement Économique du Canada. I, I call every single délégué commercial <laughs> in the United States. There's one in Boston, in New York. And the consulate, so I'm aiming the U.S., so I'm reaching out mm -hmm. to the people that are on the, um, uh, are in the, pro in the, in the States or locally because they know more than I do. So my God, I reach out to anyone I want. I have to say the kids are now 13 and 15. So the past 10 years, I was not every Thursday night, Friday night having a cocktail in those yeah. networking. I, I didn't, I couldn't afford it. Now right. I, I can start over again, but for me, I needed to be home. And so that really prevented me from building a professional network. I would okay, go, I, I would go once or twice a year to those uh, femme d'affaires du Québec, or say choose, pick and choose, but I was definitely not available. And as a mother with young kids, that was my priority. So, but you can build your network way different. Between mm. eight and five, yeah. there's a lot that can be done. But after that, for me, it was just closing shop to make sure homework, dinner, bath, everything was done. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. Well, and you managed to achieve, you know, a, a amazing growth and, you know, the, the, the company has not suffered from your from your lack of time. Nope. So you, and the you're kids didn't suffer that either. That's it. Good. <laughs> Glad to hear it. <laughs> um you talked about your 
you know, seeing your dad as an entrepreneur when mm-hmm. you were growing up and how in, in your eyes, what he was doing was, you know, running his own company, but also giving back. Um, and that was your definition of, of an entrepreneur when we when we started the, the conversation. So the giving back portion, I'm seeing with Unscented, you know, you're, you're making a clear commitment uh, to, uh, to, to, well, reduce the environmental footprint uh, for your entire product line. It, and you do that in different ways. And that was clearly part of your original mission for the company. I mean, in addition to the, the lack of scent, which also has a, a positive impact on your, on your environmental footprint, I would expect. Um, so how, I think the question really is, you know, is it viable today to have a business that includes a contribution to reducing an environmental footprint in a specific industry as part of its business plan. And I think you're proving that it is possible. So I want to, I want to hear what the, what the secret is there. Well, without a doubt, for sure, I think we can be um, profitable and sustainable. Now I'm saying that and end of 2022 and the beginning of 2023 with the inflation, everything, the EBITDA is always challenging this year. Of course. But mm-hmm. I was able and I'm able to prove that, yes, uh, I don't even think it's a choice today. You have to incorporate uh, sustainability in your business practice. As a B Corp certified business, as a woman certified business, I did set up my focus and my objectives. Um, yes, we want to make sure to reduce our plastic footprint, so improve our global footprint, but Mm -hmm. also to be able to be um, socially involved was, for me, very important also. Uh, Socially involved means not necessarily just giving money to a nonprofit, but making sure that local, my my ecosystem is locally. Let's say today 86% of my supply ship is within 500 kilometers of my head office in Villemar. So that's something that's important to me. Uh, does that does that cost a little bit more, more money? Absolutely. But I'm not into this business to maximize profit, but to create value. And that's two very different mm-hmm. approach to business. When I want to create value for me to be able to have a local economy system, to have, to be able to monitor how many of those suppliers are women-owned businesses. We're 12%. It's not much, but at least I'm monitoring it, monitoring it, and I'm going to increase it and improve it. Uh, so that's important. As far as socially involved is making sure also the aspect of the employees, the just the way that they're flexible and the way uh, we don't work much from home. From home, uh, We've all as a team decided that the office was a better environment for everyone. Do we have a day at home once a week? Yes, we might, but not everyone is taking it. Um, but definitely that's a, a very big social, uh, import- it's very important to me. And we have just decided to work with one Nonprofit instead of sending a check here and there and not being able to, how do I say, measure my impact? You know, you can't, if you give a hundred dollars, you don't know exactly where it's going. So now what we've decided to do is pick and choose one nonprofit, which is Share the Warmth here in Montreal. 
and we give part of our profit to them. We give in-kind donation, but what's the most important is that we have a mandatory 20 hours a year of volunteer within the hours of work, which really oblige everyone to take a step back go and it's a great way to come back and be more happy actually at work mm-hmm. because you've mm-hmm. got that environment just that feeling of being uh useful outside of the office but during the uh, office hours so that's a good thing that socially i wanted to to have an impact well and congratulations on on everything you're achieving that is that is all uh impressive and um, so closely linked to really, you know, your business purpose, uh, which which is the best way to do it. Uh, so it sounds like you're building a very strong company culture. And that leads me to my next question. As the leader for your organization, you are the founder, you're at the helm of this, of this great effort. Um, what do you think you personally bring to your role of leader? What are you know, characteristics that make you a leader. And and in some cases, they don't have to be all good. But what do you bring to your role on a daily basis? Ultimately, something that benefits your team, I would imagine. Um, I do believe I'm able to take a lot on, meaning on my shoulder. Um, And I think as a leader, to be able to to control um, maybe the workload and to be able to really identify uh, the business structure. So who does what and what role for with what function that helps the entire business. So I think my vision internally as a business structure has helped grow the business without putting pressure. I, I, I don't know. I don't like to work on pressure. Maybe that's why, why I'm still 100% owner of this business. Um, but maybe I do reflection on the, and on my colleagues, on everyone I work with at the office. Um, I want to make sure that their work environment just is the best one for them to flourish is the best one to grow professionally. Um, I lead with obviously my door open, which there's no doors, but definitely, um, I'm leaving in the off I'm leaving home in the morning and I run to the office. I have butterflies in my stomach and it's a, an extension of my house, of my home, of my family. So I lead with feelings that I want to make sure that it's a great environment for everyone. So it's probably a, a, a style with uh, empathy, being empathic, empathy. I don't know in English if that's the right word. Empathy, yeah, yeah. Um, It would be very human, very, uh, I do not micromanage. I hate mm-hmm. being micromanaged. So I, th- I tend to give a lot of flexibility and, and uh, autonomy. So that would be what I'm bringing. I hope they see that a leader is not only someone that wakes up at four o'clock in the morning and works until midnight and sends email on weekends. And um, I hope they see that we can grow a business on our values. We can still remain true to ourselves, true to our mission, mm-hmm. um, come to work and be happy. And that's, I hope that's what I'm bringing to the table. 
that and that sounds uh, that sounds like a a great example of a leader who leads with empathy as you were mm -hmm. as you were saying um you have managed to uh, grow the company quite a bit you've you know survived the pandemic which already mm -hmm. is a, an accomplishment in its own uh, i i've seen that recently you've had us expansion which is fantastic mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit about your vision for growth And how do you manage for, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, taking that next big step can be scary. Change is not always easy for uh, everybody involved. So what's kind of your approach to setting objectives for growth and how you manage it uh, within the company? I think the first thing you got to be ready for growth. I think your tipping point has to be ready as much as the production, you, your team to be able, your structure, your IT, your ED, your ERP. This is what I've been doing the past 10 years. It's get ready for the next step. I am so ready to move and grow the business because the, the foundation, I really focus on the foundation and making sure it was solid. And for me, I could not build my house if my foundation was not really well structured. So that being done, um, yes, I survived the pandemic, but I was part of Um, part of, I was part of the lucky one, let's put it that way, right. during the pandemic, yeah, because absolutely. I was selling hand soap. Now, right. it's kind <laughs> of a, that's it, it's kind of a gift during that time, but after that, you kind of get used to it. So I think yeah, we all yeah. made the mistake of believing that they would never come back to the yeah. same sales was, as before. There was a lot of hand sanitizer produced exactly. in a very Ex a Very short. Period. And now my hand sanitizer sales have dropped 92%. So um, <laughs> definitely. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> no, ex no, I actually, it is a good thing. So we've delisted the hand sanitizer and we'll bring it back only if we have another major catastrophe like that. Um, but no, I think... Um, I think now I am so ready uh, in all all places of all the uh, the company, every segment of it. Uh, I'm just waiting. So now I think the fact that I'm ready, I'm able to go and do some U.S. activities, trade shows, call on customers, and. I know it might sound a bit weird, but I am controlling growth. I will reach out to customer that I can handle. Uh, I'm not going to reach out to the ones like the Walmart of this world or that I know right. I won't be able to uh, to support. So I I kind of control it because I know the U.S. is big, uh, but definitely uh, there's a market for me. I am. I've realized Absolutely. the past few years that I am relevant to the U.S. market. Absolutely. Well, and I love hearing you say that because you said something when we started talking and it may have been before I was recording, but you made and it could have been just a joke, but you said you're you were surprised to hear, you know, that I'm a user mm -hmm. of your products, for example. And you said, I seem to to think that it's always my just my friends buying, yeah. <laughs> buying the product. So at this point, and and that's interesting because I think for a lot of women entrepreneurs, we talk about And whether that's a real, you know, thing, but imposter syndrome and kind of feeling like we're not, you know, we're not worthy of, of what we're doing or we're, we're kind of faking our, our status as an entrepreneur and a business owner. When did it feel real for you? When did the success 
uh, and kind of the idea behind the statement you just made, you realize now, you know, you're relevant in the U.S. market. I hope you realize you're relevant in all markets. Oh, absolutely. When did that, when did that kind of trigger point occur for you? Um, the trigger point happened when uh, Gwyneth Paltrow came to Montreal and said that she wanted to meet me to bring the unscented company on goop.com. Um, and I said, why? And she says, well, you know what? I detox my body. I detox my hair. I need to detox my home. And then that's when I said, you know what? You've got something because I did feel some sort in Quebec with an English name, uh, with the unscented company. It was tough also, but I knew that the Mm -hmm. name had to resonate throughout Canada, throughout the U S. So that's why I chose an English name. And, Mm -hmm. and so when she showed up in 2019 and said, you know what, I'm going to bring your brand on Goop. And I said, oh my God, this is when it made me feel like I got something. It didn't, maybe I was expecting that big break to come from someone I knew or someone had crossed paths before, but not at all. It came from nowhere and there she was in front of us. And then I knew I felt like I had a business. And it's true. Mm. Every time I talk to someone and they say that they buy my product and they must be, you know, I'm having some sales. So somebody is buying my product. Yeah, somebody's buying it. Somebody's <laughs> buying it. But it just feels great. I think that's one thing I just still am so amazed to think about something. The next day I see it on the shelves of a Loblaws or IGA or Jean Coutu. Mm-hmm. Or Whole Foods, and I Whole Foods. I was Whole say, Foods, yeah. yes, in the Northeast, and I, I'm still amazed, and in that feeling, I sure hope to never lose that, because it feels great each time I walk in a store. And I can, I can just feel your energy of, you know, optimism and and, and gratefulness <laughs> for that. So that's that's wonderful, and I I can see it continuing for you. Um, what would be your kind of top two or top three tips or advice to entrepreneurs who are considering starting a business and possibly something that also combines, uh, you know, kind of that commitment to sustainability, to a social cause, but uh, also, um, you know, in a category of, you know, that's relevant for us. And I think some, actually, just to go back a second, I think what's uh, fascinating and interesting about your brand is also that Uh, as you've mentioned, you know, you've created a product because we can always create new things and add things to the market, but we're just adding things that end up in landfill and, you know, creating a need that's not necessarily there, but you kind of tapped into that perfect gap of, you know, it's a category that exists. We have products that we use in this category already, but the product with, you know, that, that respect of the environment, that commitment to reducing the footprint wasn't there. And the assented factor as well was not, uh, was not existing in the category. So for someone who is looking to create something or to replicate your, your success, what's your top two or top three advice? Well, I don't think you can start a business today uh, without being socially and environmentally responsible. I think by 2025, and I'm not talking 2050, but 2025, if you don't have those considerations in your business plan, <clears throat> you will be old-fashioned, period. Yeah. Um, I do believe that consumers, I believe investors, I believe bankers, and I believe ultimately all the employees that will want to join your team will want to contribute into a company that creates a positive value. Mm 
And that for me, we're just, we're still at the beginning. I don't think we've really touched on how important it will be to attract talent, to retain talent, and definitely get some money. So I don't think you should even consider it. I think you need to build your business plan on your values, definitely, but you need to have your social and environmental objectives really embedded into your into your business model. I don't think it's a choice today and I think it makes it makes the business uh, so much more interesting also because you it, it is an aspect of the business that you might not have thought about but that creates value for everyone. It's not just about the product. You're actually creating value in your industry. And uh, I think that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Another tip, I think um, don't, if, if I would say something, I think uh, we're all willing to help. A lot of people are willing to help um, and to reach out. I know for me, I listen to pretty much a lot of your podcast. Uh, that's my morning oh, walk. And um, I don't think I've listened to one of them that I would say, oh, you know what? I shouldn't reach out to her. But definitely after the podcast, I would go do my LinkedIn connection and just reach out saying, I've just listened to the podcast. The brand is female. I loved it. I love one of the tip. And you know what? They all answer back. And that's, oh, that's wonderful. It is wonderful. So. I think I would say that just to make sure to reach out and and people do get back to you. And that's I'm glad to hear you say that. And that's been kind of a common theme recently. And, you know, don't a lot a lot of women on, on the show are saying, you know, that's how mm-hmm. that's how networks are created. It great if you can go to the networking event, but sometimes it's as simple as a LinkedIn connect. And uh, you know, I think women especially, but in general entrepreneurs and people who are connected want to help uh, entrepreneurs and they feel valued that they're being asked also. I think we often forget that we're, you know, we're paying compliment to someone when Mm -hmm. we're asking them for support and help. Uh, So that's it. That's a great tip. (laughs) So what's next for Incented? What's on your agenda for 2023? Well, I've got launch of new products. So that's the very exciting next week. And uh, you know what? 2023, we'll make sure to bring back profitability where it should be uh, by having different strategy. And definitely it's just growing my geography because we know that, um, the business, I have a pretty niche market with unscented and I want to be, I want to be the company that is recognized to being uh, unscented and being recognized to be refillable. So that's the two main top mind thing I want to achieve. And that's going to be in Canada and the U.S. by the end of 2023. And can we ask who's a retailer? What's the next big one you're hoping to crack? What's on your I on your think, vision board? Yeah. <laughs> right now I've got Whole Foods Northeast. Uh, I would yeah. love to sign Whole Food Global US. I would love to sign a Sprout in the US and yeah. in Canada, definitely uh, London Drugs and Shoppers Drug Mart. So those are right, the ones well, on my list that I'm putting out there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, hopefully this serves as your manifestation. You never for, know. For exactly. Next. 
Well, thank you so much, Annie. It's been a pleasure. I could continue talking to you, but Me too. Uh, congratulations for everything you've achieved. Thank you for the wonderful products I get to use to keep my home detoxed in, in Goop's words. <laughs> and uh, very excited to see what's next for you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. <laughs> Bye. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.